So I have a very important question to ask you. Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Wait, what? Well, let's find out. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So hopefully I got your attention with the cryptic opening to today's podcast episode. So guys, I'm going to keep this one really tight and short, the introduction to this one. This one was a another one of those ones where I was on a, a podcast episode out of Quebec. And this was uh, the host of that podcast was Miss Terry Shower. And Terry, thank you very much. You did an amazing job. You have a wonderful group out in Quebec where you're coaching and educating and helping people out in La Belle Provence, if you will. So yeah, sorry, I'm Western Canadian guy, Prairie guy trying to talk French. Yeah, there's something for you. (laughs) All right, gang. So this one was, you know, obviously we talked real estate. You know, Terry asked me a question about what's going on in the Canadian real estate marketplace. And I gave a very unconventional answer. So you might want to definitely dive into the answer I give into what's happening in the Canadian real estate market. We talk about that. Obviously, we talk a lot about some local markets. We talk about what's going on within real estate. We talk about what's happening, what I'm seeing from both a 30,000 foot view and also what I'm seeing from uh, essentially a three foot view right on the ground level as well. And the title of this one um, we come up with is how are you showing up in your real estate projects? Are you a carrot, egg or a coffee bean? which references to a story that I share at the end of this episode. So make sure you stick around right to the very end. This one is one of those ones where you can chalk up to the um, leave you feeling motivated, leave you feeling inspired, leave you feeling very encouraged, leave you feeling like you can go tackle anything. That was one of the intentions that I did of putting this podcast episode together. And interesting to note from putting on this one podcast led to another couple episodes from here. The episode that you listened to last week of my podcast was an episode recording a podcast appearance on somebody else's podcast, which came from this episode you're about to listen to here. So interesting to note is that once you start putting out the message, once you start sharing your passion, once you start sharing stories, once you get on and put it out into the marketplace, put it out into the the interwebs, put it onto the podcast space. You just never know who is listening. You really don't. You just never know who's listening and how many more episodes that can come from the one that you just put out before. So that was one of the intentions I have in this one was just to have a lot of fun and just uh, get uh, get people just fired up. And it was a new market. I was breaking into a new market out in the Quebec area, into the Quebec real estate investors marketplace. And you know what? The key message here is, you know, have um, some key strategic alliances of people that you're going to work with. And Terry Shower is a fantastic expert out in the Quebec marketplace. Interesting to note, a little backstory on this is um, usually I do a lot of research on the people's podcasts that I'm about to go on to. But this one, I didn't do as much research as I thought. Terry is a fantastic uh, real estate expert. She's a coach. She's an author. She's also a, a world champion jujitsu competitor. Let's go with competitor. A world championship jujitsu competitor who represented Canada on many world levels. So she's just a high performer in every a stretch of the imagination. So guys, make sure you take a lot of notes, grab your pen and paper. You will be coming back to this episode a lot. We talk a lot about different markets. Plus, you know what? I I share a lot about obviously what I'm personally doing, how I'm helping people. And also, you know, we get into the Edmonton marketplace a bit. So before, you know what? I'm going to save that to the end. I just actually came back from 10 days on the road, getting out into the marketplace and checking out some projects, checking out all the properties, getting through everything with a fine tooth comb. And you know what? I'm going to save this to the end, to the end closing context of this podcast. And I'm going to share with you a few of the things that I'm finding there and maybe some next things that are coming down the pipe on the podcast. So without any further delay and any further ado, please welcome Terry Shower. Shower. 
Okay, so welcome to episode 10 of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We have with us today Russell Westcott, who is an investor, a motivator, and uh, someone who has a lot of experience in the real estate industry. He's based in Vancouver, but uh, he's going to tell us about where he invests. And so, Russell, welcome to the show. Hey, Terry. How's it going today? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> well, we were joking off camera before we got started here that we both have the exact same painting behind us of the the Jacques Cartier bridge. It's like we should have called each other to, you know, usually you call each other to confirm what you're wearing. So you're not wearing the same thing. We should have called each other to match. Make our, sure our, our, make sure our art, art yeah, our background <laughs> art was different. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, Terry, before we get rocking and rolling, I um, I wanted to just uh, say congratulations to you for something. What? I was watching. I, I was watching something <laughs> last week that uh, you were on the Everyday Millionaire podcast with Mr. Patrick Francie. It's like it's like your your royalty here. This is that's a very dubious honor, and and I just wanted to say congratulations. That's that's a huge a huge feather in your cap to get on one of the top rated podcasts in you know in Canada and, and worldwide audience. So and I think you called him the Joe Rogan of Canada, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah I know no, Patrick. I, mean... I know Patrick very well. I worked side by side with him for over ten years. Okay. Yeah. I see that's the connection. But like, it, I mean, he is he is really a very gifted interviewer. Like he, you know, I was listening to the interview again, actually yesterday. And like just how he sort of pulls on things and get you going on things that are excited that you're excited about. So he is very gifted, very calming, very uh, methodical, very, re very driven at the same time. But he actually has a lot of training. If you actually think about look back into it in like training, not, I'm not trying to make this parallel to the people of his guests, but training horses. And just that calm oh, yeah. way of getting a horse, like when you got a couple thousand pound horse and you want it to do something, you know, he's very calm and very training of very how to lead the horses and things like that. So he, he is very, he is a very gifted, brilliant, generous man. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I just to wanted know. to just offer that before we get rock Thank and roll. You. So congratulations. <laughs> yes. Thank you. But today is about you, Russell. Oh, see, I, I was trying to <laughs> deflect that first question. I don't like, you know, us humble Canadians never like talking about ourselves, do about we? About ourselves. So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> But we have to. You agreed to this, so let's go. <laughs> so, Russell, why don't you tell us, who is Russell Westcott? What do you do, and uh, how have you come by what you do? Who, who is Russell Westcott? Now, there's a deep question. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I'm, I'm actually discovering that every day, trying to, trying to figure it out, like all of us on our journey through this wonderful thing called life, as we, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bust into a Prince song, Dearly Beloved, we're gathered here today to talk to this thing about life. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so, no, uh, interesting question. So, so bottom line, I, I, you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, um, I have three amazing kids. I have an amazing wife. I love helping and supporting and coaching. I am Canadian as Canadian gets. And the, for your listeners and your audience, I would imagine most of them are maybe from Quebec. You're probably telling, well, that, you ain't from around here, are you, boy? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> uh, the accent is, uh, if there is such a thing as an accent, I'm born and raised in Saskatchewan. Um, I do live in British Columbia, just outside of Vancouver at the moment. I love real estate. I have been a real estate investor. You know, I jokingly say I've been a real estate investor since the turn of the century, which the year 2000. So, <laughs> and I got my, I got really got my started kind of the, the moment for me was that year 2000. And on that year was a milestone birthday I had that year. It's one of those birthdays that has a zero at the end of it, right? I turned 30 that year. And, um, you know what? It's, you know, I had a self-diagnosed um, Peter Pan syndrome. Peter Pan syndrome is that you just never want to grow up. And I decided kind of around that time as, you know, I turned 30, holy moly, I better get my, pardon my language, I better get my stuff together here, right? Because I wasn't, you know, I was going places, but I wasn't going anywhere really at the same time. And where do you go for answers normally? Well, I went to Oprah. And on, okay. <laughs> on, on Oprah, there was an episode with Mr. Robert Kiyosaki. And Robert Kiyosaki was on there and he was talking about his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and talking about the, the quadrant. And I was uh, working for a company at the time. Now, you guys, uh, when I mentioned the word Saputo, a lot of people wouldn't understand that. But people from Quebec would know, definitely know Saputo. But out in the Western 
part of Canada, it was under Dairyland at that time. I was in their marketing department and, and, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't going anywhere. And I was a job. It was a great paying job. I love the people. It was amazing. And, and, but there was just something lacking. And so after watching Oprah and reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then uh, going to talk to, you know, the first person I went to go talk to was my mutual fund salesman, my financial planner. And he he recommended I play the game cash flow game and he recommended I get into and take a look at real estate. And then from there I went into and I went to an event, which led to another event. I met some amazing people. I met a fellow by the name of Don Campbell, who became um, one of my personal mentors for better part, geez, 13 to 15 years. And I worked side by side with Don for many, many years. And I just got the bug and i you know what? Before I went to that event, I was renting a basement suite with a roommate. And after I jumped into the wonderful world of real estate, I just got the bug and just started buying properties. There was a stretch for like five years where I bought a property a month. I've transacted over a hundred places. Today, I'm still sitting on a lot of those properties. A lot of them I wish I did not buy, but you know what? Sometimes uh, hindsight is twenty twenty always. But at the same time, uh, I've just been grateful for all the experiences and all the things that I do. I'm continually buying and building and investing every day. I look at new properties and new opportunities. I look at managing my portfolio. And one of the things I've just started doing within the last probably five years, I just been, I've been doing a lot of coaching and a lot of consulting and a lot of helping of people. I've just been so blessed with so many people over the life, my lifetime of within real estate. It would be an absolute waste and a shame that I don't share that with other people. So I'm doing a whole bunch of speaking and lives and Facebook uh, posts and YouTube videos and podcasts and just trying to get the word out and sharing everything I know. So okay. I hope that helps. Yeah, well, that's a, a great uh, introduction. So if we kind of like backpedal a little bit, uh, I guess like a real estate journey gets in of what I observe separated into like a bunch of different phases. So there's the starting phase when you kind of know you want to do something, but you don't know exactly where to start. Then there's like maybe more like of an, an intermediate phase when like you've done a couple of properties and maybe there are some things that are holding you back. And then there's kind of, you know, the final stage phase, I guess, when when people acquire enough knowledge to really kind of be able to pick and choose and add to their portfolio as they move on. Yep. That's great. Great framework there, actually. Yeah. And um, so I wonder like if you could sort of take us through some of the obstacles that you encountered maybe at the different turning points in your career, um, just by way of like that people can sort of connect what kind of obstacles they might face at different points? Well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do two things for that. There's, that's a fantastic question, by the way. Um, I'm going to give you a quick story and it's always not great when you say, I'm going to tell you a story, right? Uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story and then I'm going to give you your audience a framework of where all the obstacles fit in. And I'm a firm believer in looking at your obstacles is actually a very healthy thing to do in order to really bust through. Because if you actually solve all your obstacles, you actually, there's nothing stopping you. And I would challenge people, if you have no more obstacles, then your goals aren't big enough. Okay. So probably the biggest obstacle I faced along the way outside of the, you know, the mindset and the me type of thing and my self-worth and the believing that I can do it and a trusting of myself to do the work. But the biggest obstacle would have been the money obstacle. And, you know, quick story is I was at a, one of those early real estate workshops. You know, we go to all those big giant events and big charismatic people on the stage going, give me an R, give me an E, give me an A, give me an L, real estate, woo, woo. It's one of those raw, raw, raw real estate's the greatest things on earth. And real estate only goes up in value, never goes down. Everything's wonderful. You buy it today, you make $100,000 next month and you refinance and you just keep doing it, right? You know, we've all been to one of those. And I was on fire at that event. I was sitting front row and taking all the notes. And all of a sudden, this was out in Western Canada. Somebody walked on stage, sauntered on stage, cowboy boots, Wrangler jeans, big belt buckle, walked up there and says, ladies and gentlemen, I have some good news and I have some bad news. And everybody's going, oh, no, we only want the good news. And he sat there and he goes, okay, do you want the good news or the bad news? And everybody's like, oh, give us the good news. Give us the good news. No, he goes, I'm going to give you the bad news first. Money is required to buy real estate. And then he just stopped. And everybody just went, Ugh. 
And I felt like somebody <laughs> kicked me in the stomach that like, you know, and why did, why did I feel like somebody kicked me in the stomach? Cause I had no money. Right. Uh, when I looked at my bank statements, the biggest thing I saw was, uh, my car payment that went out and my visa bill. Well, those are the biggest things I saw in my bank statement for, for that. So he waited a little while to just kind of let that bomb truth bomb just sit in the audience and everyone just kind of the buzz just died. And then he very clearly after that says, but here's the good news. It doesn't have to be your money. So I was going, okay, you can buy real estate by using other people's capital, other people's money. And then I made it my mission to study everything I possibly could about that, surround myself with people that are raising other people's money, people that are finding the capital, because I didn't have any. And I had to, my, my choices were either to quit or to figure it out. And I chose to figure it out. I chose to move forward. I chose to want to learn how to do joint ventures. I chose all to learn how the strategies of using other people's capital. And then from there, I had a little bit of success and had a little more success. And then I started teaching it. I started writing books and home studies and publishing books and training it. And this, I'm trying not to toot my own horn here, but I'm probably one of Canada's leading authorities on raising capital and joint ventures in Canada within the real estate space. And only because, not that I've done it the most, is probably because I've just been doing it the longest and I maybe have the most books and publication and probably have trained the most amount of people in that. So, you know, I ran out of capital. I had no capital. And I still, to this day, I ran out of, ca- I ran out of capital and I have no capital, but I figure out a way to raise capital from other people and just keep moving the portfolio forward. So that's the quick story. Now, to the framework that I'm going to offer everybody. So if you've got a pen and paper and you are watching this and you are safely listening to this and watching this, I want you to write down the word team, T-E-A-M, okay? So there's only five obstacles, five obstacles that you will encounter. And if you write down T-E-A-M, so the first obstacle you find out is Math. There's only four letters in team, but I said there was five obstacles, right? <laughs> so the, the fifth <laughs> obstacle is team. So here are the obstacles. Obstacle number one is time. Obstacle number two is E is for the education. Obstacle number three is the A for the attitude mindset. And obstacle number four is for M for money. And then the fifth obstacle is your team. So lack of time, lack of education, lack of attitude, and lack of money and lack of team. Those are the five biggest obstacles. And if you challenge yourself to solving each one of those variables, you will be able to move forward with confidence and velocity. Wow, great answer. I see you've uh, definitely put some thought into the into the methodology. Like oh, I just I, sorry, I just I just question. made it up on the spot, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay, well, you kind of uh, took care of my next question. Which oh, was gonna I'm be... sorry, I didn't mean. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, which was really going to be about how, as people move through things, because I think we have our own unique journeys and the the obstacles that we specifically face in uh, specific ways, and then there are things that are kind of scalable in terms of maybe different people will have different challenges. But I see that like that model. uh, And how did you come up with that? Like, did you learn that somewhere else and then apply it to real estate? Or is that something that you sort of came up with yourself? Oh, it's, uh, I made it myself, to be honest. Well, I maybe built it. Like, is there any unique ideas out there, really? Everything's kind of modeled off something else. And then it all comes back to when you go back to, oh, it's Tony Robbins. Okay, done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, uh, it, it really comes down to is I've been doing this for 20 years and I've been training real estate investors for a better part of that time. And I just sat down one day and just wrote out, what are the, all the obstacles that people are going to encounter? And I just came up with that acronym of TEAM. And then I said, okay, here's my goal is to solve those for everybody, to help provide answers and solutions to each one of those obstacles. And um, and you know what, that in and of itself, that TEAM acronym, we could go into an entire training program or whatever you want. But I'm going to give you a story. I'm going to share most people outside of mindset, and we'll talk about that later. Most people do not ever build a team of people. And that's one of the biggest obstacles is everybody wants to do it themselves. Okay. And I'm going to share a story with you of one of uh, my clients. And one of my clients, he was, uh, you know, by all accounts had, when we started working together, he was had 11 places young person in her early 30s, had a wonderful little portfolio, but he had to do it all himself. He couldn't hire out anybody. He couldn't find, you know, any contractors. He had to go sweep the yard and fix the locks and he was doing it all himself. And I was 
strongly encourage him to find a property management company, find a property manager, find that, find renovation, start building out your team more. But he resisted it and he resisted and he just said, ah, it's what everybody's counting on me for. Everybody's counting on me for it. And then one, it was like a February, probably about four years ago now, he um, got quite ill and he was literally out of commission for an entire month and almost everything kind of shut down around him because he was not there to do all the work. Then after that, I said, now, are you ready to start building your team? And he said, okay, reluctantly kicking and screaming, he was ready. So by the time then we got property management, we got renovations, we got all the things in place for his team. We got the accounting, the legal, the lawyers, we, we started building out the who's, not the how's. And then once he started doing that, he has now more than tripled his portfolio. I think when I talked to him yesterday, he's adding another 20, which will take him just under 100 properties. And so he's gone from 11 to 100, and he only would have been able to do that is because he bought or bought his time back by building a team. Not only that, he's taking it to the next level. He's getting somebody in to come help cook for the family, somebody that comes into the house to help clean, a personal assistant that takes care of the schedule, like taking it to the complete next level. Uh, most people watching this will trip over the dollars to save a dime. And uh, that's one of the best things I can encourage people to do is pick up the book, Who Not How, by Dan Sullivan, a wonderful uh, strategic coach out of Toronto and I, Toronto and Chicago. Read Who Not How, and you might look at your real estate investing differently after that. It's Dan Sullivan? Dan Sullivan, yes. Yeah, okay, I'm just a posting that in the comments. So I see we just have an audience question here by uh, Helene Larose, who wants to know, what's the difference between attitude and mindset? Or is there a difference there? <laughs> it's the same. But but uh, A for the team acronym, attitude is an A word. I usually say attitude slash mindset. I consider them the same word, synonymous. They're exactly the same thing. Okay. But I think that's, uh, you know, that's really a, like a, a great story that you just told. And I think part of it is also like, you know, when you talk about obstacles and the fact that really sometimes the challenges that we encounter are really the best things that can happen to us. And if you really like crash whatever your model is into the wall, sometimes that's exactly the splat that it takes to reevaluate what you're doing and like kind of level up to the next plane. Yeah. So two things I'm going to offer you there is sometimes in your mess lies your message. And there's another great quote that says, from rock bottom is where I built my solid foundation. Like, honest to goodness, if you've met anybody who has accomplished something great in their life, if they haven't had those pivotal moments in their life, they're probably not telling you the whole story. Every person who has accomplished something great has had to overcome something that was almost impossible to overcome at that time. But here's the really cool thing is, sometimes you need to do the work and put in the effort to prove to people that it can be done because on the other side of that obstacle, there's something beautiful, there's something great, and there's something amazing waiting for you. Great. Oh, you're just so like good with the sound bites. <laughs> Well, there you go. So your, your your video and audio editor could just chop here, chop here. Where you go? There you got all your you got all your little fifteen second Instagram posts now. <laughs> there you go. Now you know how it goes. <laughs> so let's uh, change tax a little bit at the risk of um, you know playing uh, amateur economist. There's a lot of stuff circulating on social media now with uh, you know the government pumping increasing liquidity into things. The interest rates I think are a bit of an upward trend what's happening with inflation also i think there's a bit of a, a discussion as to whether or not we have accurate data where do you think if we can talk about a canadian real estate cycle or or if you had to give us like your opinion of what's going on right now in the market what would you what would you say Whew. now there's a uh, there could be another entire seven podcasts episodes that we can do but i'll, I'll i 100% will do my best to um offer your listeners some incredible value so the first thing i would say to everybody is there is no such thing as a Canadian real estate market. Okay. That would be like saying that your head's in the oven and your feet's in the deep freeze, but in the middle, it's a good temperature, right? You're still dead, right? So there's there's no such thing. Real estate is local. Okay. And um, in some of the, when people start talking generalities, it's easy and lazy statistics is because that's the easiest numbers to get. So then they paint the whole country with a broad brush and everybody's under the same boat. Here's what I would say the best way I could describe the market in Canada is 
it's almost like a, there's um there's a Goldilocks syndrome. There's it's way too hot, it's way too cold, and there is some actually some good pockets that are just right. For example, way too hot. Many of your people that are probably watching probably know, and if you're investing, you know, within metropolitan Montreal or places like that, you can't find a property. It's, I made a post the other day and I was joking that finding a good deal is like uh, Homer Simpson in a wetsuit. It's tight, right? There's no supply and there's high demand. So no supply, high demand. What does that mean? The sellers are in control of the pricing. The pricing goes up, right? Significant. But then there are some markets across this country that are actually quite quite good. There's actually, I help some of my clients invest into some of the prairie provinces. And, you know, fifth largest city in Canada, there's no bidding wars. You can still buy a suited house, brand new construction for about 480000 bucks. That will cash flow five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. There's no lineups. There's no multiple offers. You can get conditions. You can take your time. You can actually get extensions on conditions for financing. You can actually negotiate. You can actually get a builder discount, right? So there's multiple different things. But by and large, I would say on the meter, the real estate markets are hot. They are going up at a rapid appreciation value in most markets across this country. That's because of pent-up demand. Canada is a safe haven for people that want to come to when, you know what, hit the fan about a year ago. What did all the governments tell us to do? To go home. Okay. And as you guys are well aware where you live, you have to go home and you have to be home by what, four in the afternoon? Is that what it is now or something, Terry? No, it's 9.30 at night, but it's bad enough. Yeah. (laughs) I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So what happens when there's a, a shock in any market? People have a flight to safety. Why do you think toilet paper sales went up? Why do you think craft dinner people want to buy? Why do you think mac and cheese, pastas, comforts, the comforts, people want safety. It's a flight to safety when there's unsettledness and turbulence that people want to have safety. So everybody's sitting there and they've been locked up in their houses for a year and they're in a little tiny, maybe an apartment building or something. And they're looking around and going, oh my goodness, I thought this 900 square foot was small a year ago. Be here for a year, it's even getting smaller. So now people are starting to maybe cash out of some smaller places in the large cities. And they're starting to move out to some of the urban areas. And moving out to those urban areas is driving up a lot of the small places around a lot of the larger centers. But rapid growth, you know, on one hand, everybody wants rapid appreciation, but it also is a very slippery slope and a double-edged sword that rapid appreciation without the underlying fundamentals is actually very dangerous. And to me, the here's my last thing I'm going to say about this. The great equalizer that you need to have if you're in a real estate investor is you need cash flow. If you're not getting cash flow, you are a speculator and speculation is okay, but understand it doesn't matter if you buy it and let's say in three or four years, it goes up 150,000 bucks. But if you couldn't afford to hold it for three years, it doesn't matter if that place went to $7 million. If you couldn't hold, if you couldn't afford to hold that place, it doesn't matter what the appreciation is. You need to have cash flow. It's that great X factor to be able to hold the property over a long period of time while you wait for its market to do its thing for the mortgage pay down and also get some cash flow from um, the property as well. So that's my, I guess, a, co- a short and sweet answer to a complex question. Yeah, thank you. I think that's some really good advice. I actually had uh, another guest on maybe, uh, you know, three, four months ago, who's a financial planner in the US, uh, Jonathan Dio. And he made a very nice distinction there between investing and speculating. Oh, absolutely. It's most people right now are speculators. They're not investing. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, God bless you. But don't don't mix them up. Now, speculation is only way speculation is, is a promise of something that may happen in the future. Maybe. And the the odds are it's probably going to with housing, with lumber prices, with input costs, with immigration, with tight supply and demand. Now, that's the, the odds are it probably is going to go up. But that is speculation because it's only on a future. If you have something, a shockwave that hits that maybe in the next little while, the government decides that it's going to throw and they're going to throw more um 
They just actually just proposed it again. New oh the capital gains the capital gains tax. Is I that would say the capital gains tax, yeah. or maybe yeah. they put new uh, restrictions on oh the qualification rates that you have to qualify for. Maybe even if rates go up again, what do you think that's going to do to the market? Right it, when you have no cash flow as a real estate investor, you have no margin for error. And when you have no margin for error, all it takes is one little hiccup, one little you know part my language, one little fart in the marketplace, and it can come down pretty quickly. But if you have cash flow, if you have margin, if you have that built in, you can absorb a rental decrease. You can absorb maybe a rental increase. You can absorb deferred maintenance that something, if something explodes in the house that you got to fix it, you can absorb all those things. Then you can have afford the luxury of the time to wait for the appreciation and the pay down on the mortgage to kick in, and then you'll be laughing. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really very good advice. Well, that comes from uh, 20 years of experience, and it also comes from somebody who's been through those things. Like, you know, you, some of some people in Ontario will go, oh, the market's growing up. I go, okay, sit down. Let me tell you, I, I've been through a market that went up one year 21%, the next year 28%, the year after that 58%, okay? I've been through those. I know exactly what happens. I've seen all the mistakes I made during that time of I lowered my standard of investment criteria. I normalized negative cash flow. I made excuses for it. I refinanced a whole bunch of other properties to have my wife quit her job. I did all these things that were a mistake. And then all of a sudden the market turned, okay? And the market turned and then rents dropped, values dropped. Couldn't refinance anymore. I'm stuck. I have a whole bunch of properties and I doubled my portfolio at a peak of a marketplace. I doubled my portfolio and I still have some of those places today that I cannot sell for what I bought them for. And that's a long, and that's been 12 years in some cases or longer. And that's a long time to try to absorb all that. And it's more struggle than most people need right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that's what's going to happen to each of your marketplaces. But if I had bought properties that had greater margins for cash flow, I wouldn't care if the values had gone down. I still got the cash flow to be able to absorb it, to weight it. But if you don't have the cash flow, every dollar you're making somewhere else from your job or everything like that, it comes out of your pocket from your right pocket to your left pocket to feed a portfolio of alligators. And then you don't like real estate too much anymore. And there's been a couple times over the last decade, I've had to fall back in love with my real estate uh, many, many times is because when you see the money going out the door, it's it's hard to stomach sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a, a, you know, a, a great comment. And I think also, I mean, what's interesting is that people have a, because our, our windows as professional investors, right? Like I think the average real estate cycle is something like 18 years. And so for someone who's been in the business for, you know, 15 years, it seems like a long time, but it's possible that in that time, you've only observed linear growth going in one direction. And we haven't actually experienced, you know, like people like myself, I've never, Montreal didn't used to be as nearly as hot as it was, but it was kind of plateauing for a while. And then things have gone up in the last, whatever, four or five years. But before that, we really never had a crash. We really never had a moment when prices went backwards since I've been investing in whatever, 2007 and eight. Well, I've, I've arguably have had in the market I am in, I've had two recessions in probably the last 13, 14 years. And I believe it's come out of it now that it's finally has, has turned the corner. But here's another thing for many of you to consider now. Think about this for a second as well. Now, I'm not 100% up on my rental landlord and tenant laws in Ontario, I mean, in, in Quebec, but you would be an expert on this. But if let's say you buy a property that has... Uh, break-even cash flow today. And one of your things you say, well, I'll just make sure I just raise the rents. I just keep raising rents and over time. And then, okay, uh, do you guys have rent control in Quebec? Yeah, yeah. Like major, serious rent control. Okay, so what's the opportunity <laughs> yeah. for you to raise your rents? It's, it's not there. Now, what if a tenant stops paying? Can you evict them? You can, okay. In Ontario, you can't, potentially. They have a moratorium on evictions right now. And some people are sitting there going, is somebody, if they stop paying rent, it could take up to a year to 18 months to evict them, right? What happens at the end of a fixed-term lease out in Quebec, Terry? What happens there? Is it who's in control of if you continue or not? Uh, the tenant. <laughs> I think that's a danger to me personally. Oh, it's a big danger. No, it's a, I mean, it's a big danger, but like that's, those are the market conditions under which we operate here. I, but right? but understand so. that if you have no cash flow margin now and at the end of the tenancy and it's a bad tenant, you want to get rid of them, they're in control if they keep going or not. 
And bad tenants typically cause damage, right? So for example, I invest in Alberta, where on a fixed term lease, it's the landlord's decision at the end if you want to renew. We don't have a rent control. Now, I don't tell people to do this, but if you have to get somebody out and you take over a bad tenant, there's no rent control. You could raise your rent $7,000 with the proper notice. And either the tenant has to accept it or they have to leave. Okay. And potentially within evictions, now I might get my terminology wrong or timing wrong a little bit because that's why I have property managers. But from non-payment of rent, potentially in like three weeks, you could have a hearing in front of one of the tribunals in Alberta to file and get an eviction order against that person within, within a month, right? So you can get people out if they're stopping to pay and things like that. And you, you're in control as the landlord. Now, don't get me wrong, it's still quite heavily skewed towards the tenants, but it's a, it's a little more, it's one of the most favorable jurisdictions in the, in the country. I've heard rumors and some of my clients say that um, some of the Atlantic provinces, maybe New Brunswick or Nova Scotia, are fairly good for landlord and tenant laws as well. But I, I'm very familiar with Alberta and it's one of the it's one of the most friendliest places to do business as a rental housing provider. Mm-hmm. But so so let me ask you this, because I mean, I, I had a, a question in here about, uh, you know, sort of what your favorite favorite market markets are. So I'm hearing that you have a bit of a a preferral for Alberta. Like, do you want to sort of take us through how that happened? Because you come, I mean, you come from Saskatchewan, you live in BC. How did that market get on your radar? Well, here's the thing. Um, So when I first started, I was living in Burnaby, British Columbia, 5858 Woodsworth Avenue, renting a basement suite with a roommate, right? And when I first got the bug, I started learning about real estate. I started learning how to analyze properties, you know, certain metrics to look for, cash flow analyzers, you know, 1% rules, all these kind of things. So I said, okay, well, let's just start taking a look in Burnaby. And every property I looked at, I go, well, this doesn't make sense. So I was sitting there, I was like, Terry, I, I'm going to make an analogy here. I was pulling my hair out. And I know that's not a good one for podcasts, but but uh, I have no hair. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, I, I couldn't find anything. I just could not find anything that just really made sense. And then I was at an event and somebody was on stage was sharing this report on top places to invest. And Alberta and Edmonton was number one. I said, you know what? I'm not finding anything in where I live. I was on a plane out the next week out to Edmonton. I was seeing some of the opportunities and the price points and the rental rates. And there's no land transfer taxes and there's uh, no rent controls, and it's open and friendly for business. And then some of the numbers I was just seeing, it just made sense. Like I was able to buy at a price point and rent it out, and I was getting cash flow. And then there was a time frame where there was some extreme rapid appreciation in the marketplace too. No different than, a, you know, where you guys are seeing out, out your way. There's some very rapid appreciation. And if I had learned my lesson, I probably would have sold at that time and then rebought them like, four years later, and then things would be a lot different. But so now I firmly believe that marketplace has gone through that cycle of a bottom and it is finally starting to see it's trending up. You know, no different. I I just pulled some of my stats up in my market in Edmonton where I invest houses year over year growth just hit 14% again. And we haven't seen those numbers for a long time. It's been flat at best that we had 14%. And the, the one that's really of interest is inventory levels are now down to 2014 levels and sales, I think March sales in Edmonton hit the highest one month total ever, right? Ever for one month. Either it was the month of March ever or all months ever. Meaning inventory is slowly starting to evaporate. Sales are starting to go up and now the price is starting to go up. But the beautiful thing is, is I'm still able to buy at a price point where I'm buying a brand new construction suited house for under 500000 bucks, and I'm getting anywhere between four and $600 cash flow on those kind of properties. Right from day one on a brand new construction property that is got fantastic materials, that is high-end, that is uh, under warranty, that is easy to manage and attracts fantastic tenants. 
Okay. And so you invest mostly in single family homes? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's I've actually creating a little, what I call a hybrid model, where we have a, we had a zoning bylaw change in our city where you're able to take, and I'll, I might get some of the terminology wrong because I know we call these things different, but I believe you guys call them semis out, out your way. And we call them side-by-side duplexes where you put a house and a house beside each other. They just change the zoning that you can now put suites into those properties. Okay. And what you potentially could do is where you have, say, where there was one piece of land, you potentially could put a side-by-side with suites. Essentially, you got a fourplex, okay? And we're getting those for roughly about $890,000 brand new, and they're rented out for about $6,500 a month, okay? And then what you can do is if you have the right piece of land, you can actually play Lego and you could start stacking those things together, like if you have a big enough piece of land, you could stack, you can do them front to back, you can do them sides, you can do them up to two, four, six, up to eight. And I, my business partner and I, who lives in the area, we're actually finding, trying to find some land positions where we can go all the way up to 64 type of suites all in one. And it's almost like playing Lego, where you just modular kind of plump these things together and you build these really cool little, uh, a little multifamily of single family properties. Each are individually titled. You get residential financing. And if you ever need to peel one off for whatever reason, you didn't have to sell all 16 of them. You just sell one of them, right? Or you eventually, let's say you buy, you put 16 in a row. And then uh, after a period of time, maybe appreciation, you sell maybe eight of them. You take the profits from the eight and you pay off the remaining eight and you got a a portfolio free and clear properties, right? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of just fun things that I'm looking to do. And it's all around new construction properties, and it's all around providing fantastic rental stock for really good tenants. One of the biggest lessons I learned the hard way was I went and bought properties based upon how cheap they were and based upon a pro forma number. And cheap properties on a piece of pa- that look good on a piece of paper attract terrible tenants. And the tenants, I've embarrassing to say, I've had multiple reports of gunfire, not to say anything wrong with people with guns, but there's been gunfire in my units. There's, I think I've had a couple murders in a couple of times. I've just, I've had enough of having cheap properties in bad areas that I would much rather have fewer, but have higher quality and have a better ownership experience with some better tenants. Okay. Um, and so like, if we, you know, get into the business model a little bit, like what, uh, you know, I do mostly multifamily and I think, uh, in our investors club, uh, the model that we work on is really a kind of a multifamily model, partly because of, um, you know, the financing criteria that at a certain point, as you move out of the residential financing game, you're able to accumulate more property because they're not looking at your individual debt ratios anymore. So maybe you want to just tell us a little bit how your business model works, because I think, you know, everybody, if we could all buy triplexes and fourplexes in Montreal, that's, that's kind of the, you know, sometimes you can get some good deals on those, but everybody then runs out of of borrowing capacity. Yeah. So 100% what I would just describe that business model can work in a commercial lending environment as well. Um, we have an amazing mortgage broker that can bundle up those properties. It usually you have to determine that before the land gets registered and the titles get divided out. Usually you do it at a pre-build stage. You determine wh- how you're going to do it. But you potentially could put all those properties under one title and get a commercial loan on it, 100%. Uh, but then you do lose a little bit of flexibility about it being able to have peel a unit off. If you have to sell one, you have to then either sever them down the road or get a partial dis- a partial discharge notice and get new mortgages. And you have to, it's just a little bit more costly. Okay. But you 100% can do that from a lending standpoint is put them all under a commercial, a commercial lending arrangement. And then, you know, typically with commercial lending, typically you are paying fees, right? You're paying probably a little bit of a higher interest rate. You are, everybody in commercial lending has their handout, if you will. And the, the numbers are a lot bigger in appraisals and environmentals and all those kind of things. And by going residential, you typically get a little, you're getting higher loan to values, you're getting lower rates, and you're also getting no fees. But at the end of the day, what I tell people is sometimes it's not the cost of the money, it's actually the accessibility of the money. It's having the capability to get the money. And then I often at this time, I tell a little joke is what's the difference between a one and a half percent mortgage and a four and a half percent mortgage? You can get the four and a half percent one. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I joke and I digress. But uh, okay, there's but another sound. Really but there's another sound bite for you. <laughs> another sound bite. Yeah, but that's a really good tip. I, I'm going to uh, get on the phone to my mortgage broker when we get off this uh, yeah. podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have another um, audience question here, which I think we covered a little bit before. Uh, you know, in your comments about how to take care of your time, but maybe you want to speak specifically to this. When is a good time to hire management? Do you want the cheeky answer or do you want a good, a good price? Yes, yesterday. <laughs> that, okay. no, I, I'm, so in my, I, I can only tell from my lenses, the lenses that I look at is I hired a management company from day one because I just knew that I wasn't going to be the manager. And I just knew that wasn't my skill set. That wasn't what I wanted to do. And no, first of all, Bless all the property managers out there. Sometimes I wouldn't wish it upon... I, I, that's why I'm looking at you, Terry. I wouldn't wish it on sometimes my worst enemies. Sometimes. And thank you. Bless you for all the hard work that you do. I'm just not equipped to handle that. And I probably... I'm just not built to be able to... Ha- I don't have the patience for it in some respects. And I just probably wouldn't do it. And I would have quit real estate a long time ago if I had to do all my own management. And I actually had the stupid idea once about, well, maybe I'll just get my wife to do it. Crean can just do this. And, you know, it, the divorce would be more costly than what a manager would be, right? So everybody's case is unique. And in some cases, there is no viable management companies available. Like really, there's no good ones available. And, and here's a quick story I'll share with one of my clients, smaller area, Thunder Bay. He was sitting there and he wanted to double his portfolio from 40 to 80 units. I said, okay, what are all the pinch points? Pinch points came down to management, came down to renovations, came down to maintenance, all that kind of stuff. Okay, go interview all the management companies in town. He came back and said, I can't find any. There's none of them that would meet the criteria. Okay, so do you quit or what do you do? He goes, what do you mean? I go, here's what you're going to do is you're going to make your own management company. You're going to hire your people. You're going to hire the right people. You're going to put your own system in place. You have a great self-management system, but you just can't handle it anymore right? Personally. So you're going to start hiring the right people. You're going to hire the bookkeeper. You're going to hire the leasing agents. You're going to do it your way. And then you're going to start getting people that are as frustrated with you, or I mean, frustrated in the market. They're going to start hiring you. And now you've built yourself a management company. And then from the management company came a renovation company and came a maintenance company. And then he's now going to be probably adding a mortgage company. And he's also a realtor. Now he's going to be 100% vertically integrated as a one-stop shop for real estate investors, right? So if there is no viable option, Make your own, build your own if it's not good. But I have a feeling there are some options wherever people live. Sometimes people just have to get over the expectations of the management and it'll never be as good as you probably would do yourself. I say that on one side, but I also look at it myself as I don't want to learn all those things on the management side. I don't want to learn all the ins and outs of the, I don't want to read the Residential Tenancy Act. I want to understand it. I want to know about it as the business owner. I don't want to know every line item on it. I want to know who I can go to who's the expert, who's taken the time to build their team, who puts their accounting people in place, who has their handyman in place, who has, sorry, handy people in place, who has all that in there. I don't want to take the time to do that. Right. So I'm glad to pay 10% of my gross rents to somebody who does that amazing service for me. Right. So it's, it's all about the building of the team who, not how. Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, what I observe as I look at people who have, uh, you know, begun to have success in the industry is really that like, don't want to say everyone has their unique hat because there are not that many hats, but if there are, you know, five or six angles that people have, uh, some people are, are good with construction. Like, it, you know, what you said about property management, that could be me talking about construction. Like, obviously, I know enough to be able to have an intelligent conversation with the plumber, but like, I am never going to be a builder or like somebody who does strips and renovates because it's just, I don't like it. You know, I don't, I, I, I it gets, gets me really flustered. Whereas like, have me like deal with tenants. It's, it's fine. I, I totally have the patience for that. So yeah, I, I joke with my wife all the time as um, sometimes it's a good thing to be totally useless at something, right? Meaning I'm, when it comes up, my wife won't even allow me to, I have a little spot in the garage. Maybe I can pretend to go do something handy in the garage, but anytime I ever have to try to do something around the house, Crane just, um, are you sure you don't want to hire somebody for that one, Russ? I go, what are you saying, honey? <laughs> Because I'm just not good at it. And know thyself, right? And I'm totally fine to bring somebody in. Because then I have my own other strengths, right? My my skill set and the lane that I swim in 
is to go out and, you know, do what we're doing right now is to have a wonderful, inspiring conversation to an audience of people to going out to your podcast to get people excited about real estate, to maybe get get people too excited about maybe a project or two or something that maybe I said you got inspired about, maybe you want to take the next step. And then my job is to attract some eyeballs and attention onto the business. And then I bring from eyeballs and attention, capital comes from that. And then I have a great business partner who is a fantastic business operator and just finds deals. Like he's out there sniffing dirt today, probably finding good land positions. For this, and that's his job is to be the operator to find the opportunities to get the all the con- connections in place. My job is to find people, find the capital, find the money partners to potentially come in, and that's what my lane is. And and we're t- I'm totally okay with that. Like some days, if I don't know how to, I don't know how many feet of tape and mud and stuff like that, and what coat of paint and CC four hundred one Sherwin Williams coat. I don't know any of that stuff, right? That's not my job. And if it was my job, my places would look a lot worse than they do. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but so we kind of alluded earlier in the show that uh, we were going to have a little conversation about mindset. So I think this might be the, you know, the opportunity. I know you like to have a bunch of material on mindset. I don't know if there's any way to kind of condense that, but if you had to pick out maybe one or two or three major points that you think are key to as a mindset to succeed in real estate, or maybe it's wider than that. I don't know. Why don't you tell us what you think? Well, the number one thing I'm going to say about mindset is do as much work on the mindset and your soul set and who you are inside as you do on the tactical side of learning how to do real estate. You know, we can all sit there and after a while you can learn how to analyze a property and put together a cash flow analyzer and how do you put the bank application in. You can put all those things in and you can figure out all that tactical step by step. Two people sitting in the exact same space learning the exact same tactical steps to learn the exact same thing, but one of them excels and one just kind of stuck stays where they are. I guarantee the person that has excelled is the person that has worked on their mindset more. I call it the great equalizer. It's the X factor. It's that it that just nobody can put their finger on it. The person that takes the time to do the work, to put in the reps, to train themselves, to figure out how they show up powerfully in each situation, the person that does more of that work will excel than a person of equal tactical how-to knowledge. It is that great separator, if you will, of the between between people. And I know in some cases, in some cultures, you know, having some people excel ahead of other people is not is not looked upon very favorably, but it's life. And that's the way I think life is, is sometimes people that put in the work and do do that and achieve great things get more things to come to them. Okay. If somebody has not done the work or not invested into a coach or some training or the programs or listening to their podcasts, listening to amazing podcasts like this, if you haven't done the work, you can't complain about the results you don't have. So it's just, it's all about pay as, and I'm going to use a, here's a soundbite for you. Give as much attention to your mindset and training your mindset as you would give the priority of diarrhea. Sorry okay. for that that very graphic comment there, everybody. Oh, that's definitely going to be the snippet at the start of the show. Well, I'll tell you what, you could you could definitely remember that one, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah like, what priority are you going to give that? Yeah, there ain't nothing more important, is there? But so if if we get into specifics, so I think, I mean, I, I obviously agree with what you're saying, but if like we were get to get into specifics, like what could I do? to optimize or what have you done to optimize your mindset for success? Okay. So I believe your mindset will strengthen based upon the confidence you generate. And how do you generate more confidence is by honoring your word and doing the things you're going to do. So what do I mean by all that? If every day you sat down and you write out five things, five things that you're going to do today. And I did, I do this every single day this morning right? I have my planner, my high performance planner. I use the one by Brendan Bouchard. It's a fantastic resource. Every day I will write out five things that I must get done today that build up to what my quarterly goals are, which then builds up into my 12 month goals, which then leads into my five and 25 year visions of what I want to have for my life. So I am completely 
vertically aligned from my daily actions right up to my vision, my core values, and my vision board of what I want to do. And today, my goal is to just knock those five things off. And I'm not going to stop until I get it done. Now, am I perfect every day? Not even close, okay? But I have more days that I win than lose. And if you start stacking more days where you check those five things off every day and you start winning the day and you win tomorrow and you win the next day and you win more days than you lose, then you have a successful week. You start stacking weeks where you just start building those weeks upon each other. You now have a, a fantastic month. You start stacking months of daily five things you need to do on top of each other, and you start getting that confidence and that momentum. And in a year, two, three years from now, you won't even recognize yourself. So the practical thing that I would get people to do, and this is simple, but sometimes the simple things to do are the simple things not to do. If every day, one of the first things you do in the morning is write down five things that you must get done. Now, I'm not talking about pick taking the trash out and I'm not talking about, you know, buying this or whatever. I'm not talking to errands. I'm talking five needle moving activities that will move you closer to your goals. And your job is you're not going to sleep until you check those five things off. If you incorporate that one habit and you just follow through it, you will be unstoppable. Your confidence will go through the roof. And then now you start getting a stronger, lo and behold, by accident, you now have a stronger mindset, right? By just doing the work on a daily basis. Yeah, I think there's um, like two really great points in there. The the first one being this kind of vertical alignment. I actually have like a planner as well that like I started using. Uh, it's actually maybe been two years now that I use it. And it really makes such a difference to, you know, break everything into actionable steps and then have it be coherent with matching the horizon with the little things that you do every day. Because it's not where your eye is on the horizon that makes the difference. It's the little things that you do or don't do every day that end up accumulating to make the life that you have. Yep. Absolutely. And that's just something that like, you know, if we tend to keep our eyes too focused on the horizon, we just forget that it's really those little habits of stuff you do, what you put in your mouth every single day is ends up, you know, reflecting the numbers on the scale, yeah, right? Absolutely. And it's just it's just an exercise I do with most all my coaching clients to start off with. We start off with a vision board and then we get core values and then we get out to a core intention saying. And then we break down three and 12 month goals. And then we break out quarterly objectives. And then we break out what I call my next telephone polls, which is just kind of a story that I have of it's a Terry Fox story. Just how are you going to run across the country? One telephone pole at a time. And then you identify your next telephone polls. And then every single day you have to write something in your book and you have to be held accountable to daily activity, which lines right up to your vision board. Thank you. So look, I see we're getting sort of to the end of our time slot. I wonder if there's any uh, concluding words, anything that I might have missed, any great tip that I didn't uh, get a chance to ask you, feed you the right question for? Yeah, I know. So so first of all, Terry, thank you. Thank you for putting this uh, community together. Thank you for amazing leadership that you provide to your community of helping real estate investors. We, You know, I think we need to celebrate entrepreneurs. And we need to celebrate real estate investors because this journey is tough. It is really tough. And we need to support each other, not tear each other down. So if there are some people that are on the group that if you are watching this, please jump in. Please say high five, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Amazing work, Terry. Just, just give some love. Okay. First and foremost, I'm going to end off with a little you know, maybe a little fable or a little story with you. Um, and I think this is something that will drive home a lot of the points we talk about is you can choose how you show up. It is a choice. So choose wildly every day. Now, there was this young little boy that was sitting in the kitchen one day and, this, you know, he was sitting there with his with his mom and he was, uh, he was having a hard time. This boy, you know, he's, you know, mid-teens, about to become a man. And he was asking his mom, and he goes, mom, you know, I'm having a hard time girlfriend broke up. I'm just having a hard time with this. Job's not good. Everything's just, I, you know, lockdowns. I'm just, I'm just having a hard time. Life is really tough right now. And the mother says, looks at them and goes, go grab me three pots. Put some water in three pots. She took the three pots of water, put them on the stove and brought them to a boil. Okay. Um, okay. Now go to the, the fridge and I want you to grab me three things. I want you to grab me some carrots. I want you to grab me some eggs and I want you to grab me some coffee beans. Okay. So there, through the carrots in one pot, boiling water, through the eggs in the other pot, boiling water, and through some coffee beans in the, in the third pot. 
after they boiled and stuff like that, they pulled all of them off. And the mother said to the son, now take out the carrots, take out the eggs and take, you know, and the, there's liquid in the last one. What do you see? Well, I don't know. Um, this first one, the carrots, they went in. Yeah, they were hard. Now they're all mushy. They're soft. So when they went into something boiling water, they got soft. What happened to the egg? The egg went in soft in the inside and the shell, it came out hard and, you know, it's got a hard cracked shell. What about the third pot, the coffee bean? Oh, man. Yeah, here, let me pour a cup of coffee. Pour a cup of coffee. Oh, coffee. I got my cup right here, right? The coffee is amazing. So each one of those, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean, each had the exact same stimulus, boiling water. One went in hard, came out soft. One went in soft, came out hard. The third one, the coffee bean, changed the environment it was in. So you have a choice every day, ladies and gentlemen. You can be a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean. Choose wisely, and I'm help, I hope this serving of some strong coffee was very helpful for you here today. <laughs> Thank you, Russell. <laughs> and I got my cup here. We'll toast to a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, just tell our audience members if they want to find you, get in touch with you, uh, follow what you do. What's the best way? Um, the simplest way would be just Google my name. Russell Westcott. And when you start typing in Russell West, I'm not Russell Westbrook. You'll get the joke when you do see that. I'm Russell Westcott. If you just Google my name, the best place would be just to my website, which is russellwestcott.com. It's got where my podcast is. It's got all my blog articles. It's got all my training, the things that I do. And if you're ever interested in maybe having a in conversation about investment opportunities, there's a big giant consultation button on there. It's At the moment, it's still free until I get too swamped with things. It's still free, but if you want to book a consultation, I, I free up 45 minutes of my calendar and we just have a wonderful conversation about how I can help you move forward. That's the easiest way. Okay, well, great. Thank you, Russell, so much for agreeing to be on the show. And I really expect that our listeners will have gotten some uh, some sound bites and some wisdom packaged in well, there. They'll, they'll probably never the, uh... forget the diarrhea comment. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> okay, Russell, thank you so much. Thanks, have a good Terry. day, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. So what was some of your key takeaways from this interview and this episode with Terry Shower from the Quebec Real Estate Investors Club? So some of the key things for myself is, you know what, I, I have a hard time listening to going back and listening to my podcasts or watching my YouTube videos. But sometimes you have to watch them. And sometimes you have to listen to them to keep improving your craft to keep going back to learn what you did wrong, learn what you did right, where can you improve? Now, here's a quick story I'm going to share with you. Interesting to note, I've just been on my road trip through Alberta. I was had a theme. I always have a theme when I'm going through my, my when I go on a long road trip. So either I have a podcast, which I start from start to finish on like, you know, 40 or 50 episodes, or I pick a theme of audiobooks. This theme, what I took was my mental toughness theme. So if you may know who these authors are and you may know what I'm talking about and you can just tell what I was in the mood for and what I probably needed the most help and support with. So the po the books that I listened to on this road trip, like I did 3,000 kilometers across Western Canada. I listened to Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins, Relentless, Tim Bro Grover, and Winning by Tim Grover. So just imagine how hardcore that was with Goggins and a double dose of Tim Grover on those three audiobooks. I was, you know, ready to, let's put it this way, after listening to those books and seeing what those people have gone through, you have no excuses in life. There is just truly nothing that you potentially cannot accomplish. And even to the point where, especially maybe in Goggins' case, David Goggins, was... um the guy's sadistic in many respects. If you have read Can't Hurt Me, if you've read that book and heard his story, you know, the point of some of the things that he has done in his life is just absolutely next level off the chart. So if you have not dove into the world of Tim S. Grover or David Goggins, by all means, do yourself a favor, look them up, go into them, and you will come out very hardcore. So one of the things I alluded to at the beginning of this episode was um, to give you a little bit of insight in some of the things that I was seeing out in the Edmonton marketplace. So let me just back up a little bit in context. So two things. Number one is more resources are coming. I had a wonderful couple of days with my business partner and Jay and I dove headfirst into um, 
into talking about some of the things and resources and materials and next videos and next podcast episodes that we can record. But here's the biggest thing that came across to me is in many markets across the country, a lot of real estate investors are struggling to find opportunities, are challenged to find some good to have the numbers work that are sitting there going in there. The, the pickings are really slim pickings on some properties they're doing. And by the time they actually, their, their realtor or sending out all their letters and their direct mail and all their marketing activities, they only have maybe a handful of opportunities. In one day, just going out in the field, Jason and I, he showed me at least 20 or 30 different opportunities in one day. Like there are just so many different opportunities, everything from purpose-built townhome complexes that you can break up and buy them one at a time, right up to infill properties where you can take one lot, subdivide, put two on it, right? Even to doing those same kind of infills where you can divide it up, put four units on there, right up to doing brand new area, the entire Blatchford area of Edmonton, redeveloping the municipal airport lands on doing sustainable properties properties, geothermal, where you could literally build a 14-unit apartment building and complex and New York-style lofts and and uh, rooftop patios and just really high-end material, high-end stuff. So here's the point I'm trying to get to is I have a renewed sense of what's going on in Edmonton. I thought I was very bullish on Edmonton before. My um, bullish level on what's going on in Edmonton by getting out and seeing the dirt and seeing the opportunities is off the charts right now. And I sure hope you guys, if you're listening to this, stay tuned. There's some more opportunities and some more resources coming your way that there will be some exclusive opportunities. I think Jay and I identified at least 35 off-market opportunities where you can get right in at the ground floor, right from a piece of dirt. You can then build up the property for you. Sweeted houses. If people are having trouble finding garage suites or sweeted houses, stay tuned to our pod, to my podcast. You will have a multiple opportunities to find these things. All off-market stuff all high quality, all vetted by myself and my business partner, all of them make sense as a wonderful real estate opportunity. So stay tuned, more details on that to come. And one other thing I'm going to just share here is coming up probably in the next episode is um, the podcast has its first um, sponsor. First sponsor is coming out and I'm not going to share who it is. You'll hear it next episode. But here's the cool thing. I only wanted to have, if I ever was to have a sponsor, it would have to be something that would not just be for money or any of that kind of stuff. It would have to be something that was truly aligned with the vision of the podcast. It would have to be something that was truly aligned with providing value for the listeners. And most importantly, it have to be someone or something or a service that provided a valuable service for you to help you move forward. So that's coming out on the next episode. Okay, gang, you know how we end off each one of these podcasts. Remember, in every interaction you have with another person, always, always, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now. Bye for now.